This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Good afternoon. It is an honor and a privilege to be here. Thank you very much. So I will talk about Classes River main site today. So Classes River main site is situated on, in South Africa on the southern Cape coast. And what you see there is that it's situated close to quite a few very well-known caves from which we know uh, quite a lot about, especially the evolution of modern humans. Um, uh, on the picture below, you can see there's a picture of Classes River, and there you can see that it's right on the coast. So it's very picturesque to work there. Uh, a really very nice environment. Also on that bottom slide, you can see that there's a lot of lush vegetation around it. It consists of um, forest, fane moss, and thicket. That is enough to uh, see to all of your plant needs uh, if you had to rely on that for food. So this picture shows you Glasses River main site, and what may, uh, you may first see is that it consists of four recesses or caves that we uh, call by different names. So there, with cave 1A, I've put you two little human figures to show you the scale. This is against all of these caves, 21 meters of shell midden deposits formed. And this means it's one of the largest shell middens in Africa, dating to between 120 and 48,000 years ago. Then there was a break in occupation, and then after some erosion of the deposits, later Stone Age or Holocene people came in again and occupied the site from 4,800 to 2,300 years ago. So this vast amount of shell midden deposits is one of the best features of the site, but it's also one of the most challenging, because if you have only one career, where do you start? So there's a lot of work to do. So what I want to talk to you about today, being such a large deposit, is just flashes of light on some of the aspects on which Glasses River can throw some light. So at Glasses River, we have quite a few hominin or hominid human representatives. I will talk about some evidence that highlight the ecological genius and cultural flexibility and complexity of our early ancestors. And I would like to emphasize that they achieved this without our current superculture. So they really adapted to that environment. So who lived at Glasses River? We've got more than 50 human fossils at Glasses River, and most of them date to between 120 and 90,000 years ago. What we can see from the remains that we have, and in the previous slide you will see that they were quite um, broken up, small pieces of human remains, so we don't have a full skull uh, or a complete skeleton, so fragmentary remains, but what we can still say from that is that it's a morphologically variable population with very small individuals as well as larger robust individuals. Interestingly, for Classes River we get mostly adult adults represented. For most of the other Southern Cape sites we find mostly infants represented. So that is perplexing. Why is this the case? 
we do have only three teeth of infants. And uh, in the picture that you see there, that's the Howison's poor deposits dating to around se between 70 and 50,000 years ago. So if you find teeth of infants in a deposit, you have to think that it was families that lived here. These Howison's poor deposits are the deposits that are, we can see the highest density of occupation in the site. So that's quite interesting that we find the infants in this layer. Something that's really interesting for Classis River is that almost all of the human remains, especially the lower deposits, the, those between 120 and 90,000 years ago, are burnt, as you can probably see from this picture, and many of them have cut marks. So what is the logical conclusion is that it was probably cannibalism that was practiced. Was it ritual cannibalism? Was it dietary cannibalism? We do not know. It is one of those issues that we need to, that we hope to throw light on in future. If you look at the remains from Classis River, and that these are mostly the food remains, you can see that the deposits from the lowermost layers, 120,000-year layers, consist of dense shell middens with all the foods that went into that. So it's foods from the um, coastal environment, fauna, fireplaces, etc. So from this you can see that in this time range that they followed from 120 thousand years to 48,000 years ago, we know that the climates fluctuated. And in that time period, they targeted different kinds of foods. Classis River is often facetiously called the earliest seafood restaurant in the world because at the site, we do find, as I said, in the lowest layers, these dense, dense shell middens. And this is one of the earliest occurrences of this very dense shell middens. So here you see a few of the food remains that we find very often there. Uh, seal remains, shellfish, and fish. This is combined then with um, large fauna and small fauna. So I've put this very large, we call this a, a bovet class size size class 5, it's above 900 kilograms, very large bovets. And to be able to hunt such a bovet successfully, you have to cooperate. So we can see throughout the sequence that they were very successful, intelligent, cooperative hunters that not only targeted the bigger animals, but also very small animals. Interestingly, since I've started excavated at this, excavating at the site again of around 2015, the layer, layers that we're targeting now are about 110,000 years old. And what we observed in these layers are these reddened quartzite blocks, blocks that we haven't seen before. These blocks are associated with leached ashes and food remains. In this picture, you see postdoc, because she was my postdoc, Sylvia Benson, who did a lot of experiments on quartzite and how it behaves if it comes into contact with fire. And what we did determine then is that probably these quartzite blocks were used to roast food on. And that's a very early occurrence of that kind of behavior. Also at Glasses River, you find many hearths. 
So what you see here on this side is cave one, where we are currently excavating. So this is what we call the witness bulk, and these layers go from about 120,000 to about 90,000. This is the picture higher up in the sequence, where we have the Hausenspurt deposits. So you will notice here the lowermost deposits here are full of hearths, it's these ashy lines, as well as these deposits here, full of hearths. So what has been done here in collaboration with Susan Menser and Cynthia Labi is to take samples from these hearths. Cynthia Labi took samples of the ashy parts of the hearths and the darkened soils under that and did scanning electroscope micro, microscope, microscopy on it. And what she did find in these slides or in these um, remains was the remains of starchy tissue of underground storage organs in the ashes, ashes of the 120,000-year-old hearths as well as the 60,000-year-old hearths. Susan Menser, she did micromorphology, and she also, as a, she also identified these parenchymous tissue in the sediments next to the ashes that Cynthia has identified. So this is pretty important. So, so far it's the earliest direct published evidence. We also have very early evidence from Border Cave for the deliberate inclusion of starch in diet. We don't think this is the earliest evidence for starch inclusion because the genetic evidence, the evidence shows that modern humans have more copies of the gene that produces salivary amylase. That's the enzyme that breaks down starch, and this change seemed to have occurred already 300,000 years ago. So it seems that starch was an important part of hunter-gatherer diets long before agriculture developed. So this puts a new perspective onto the idea that paleo diets consist just of proteins and fats. So starch was really an important part of that diet as well. So from this evidence that I just really discussed with you very superficially, we can say that humans at Classes River followed a balanced diet with starchy cooked foods and roots and tubers combined with roasted protein and fat from shellfish, fish, small and large fauna. So this complexity and ingenuity that we see in the, in the diets, we can also link that to their cultural behavior. So here is a picture of the stone tools find, found in this, in, throughout the Classes River sequence. So I've only put the typical stone tools from between 120 and about 70, 65,000 years ago. But what is interesting that we see just as the humans adapted their diet through time, they also adapted the way in which they make stone, made stone tools. And it was probably used for the same kinds of tasks, but they used different ways to manufacture those tools. So this gives us some inclination of how they thought. We do get clearer snapshots of cultural complexity during periods of more intensive occupation. And we think at this site it's around 100,000 years ago, as at, for example, Blombos Cave, 65,000 years ago with the Hausenspurt, and 4,800 years ago. So time only allows me to really quickly focus on some of these aspects, and I'll do that in relation to 
pigments and to bone tools because we seem to find more of these materials during these time periods. So in the 100,000-year-old levels, we do see this pigment that's been shaped or ochre shaped in a crayon and you can see that it has these lines on it so it's been used and shaped intentionally. Then there's also this piece of ochre which has been scored or engraved. We don't think it's a pattern. We just see it, it was probably used to make powder. And this occurs in relation to an is, in association with these notched bone tools made on the ribs of a very large animal like a, an eland. Here you can see some of these notches. We don't know what it was used for. It is still a mystery, but we are working on that. Um, and then in the 65,000-year-old layers, so we're jumping up in the sequence about 12 meters, we do find similar pigments in the Hausenspurt, but I've mentioned earlier that we think it's one of the highest occupation density parts of the sequence. Here we also find more ochre. And here we can see that they preferred the color red ochre, they heated some of the ochre. They also used yellow ochre. And interestingly, they made a white material pigment from different materials that might have contained bone. So that's a quite interesting phenomenon. Also in the Hausenspurt, we get bone tools like this bone point. This looks exactly like the later Stone Age and Holocene and recent Bushman bone points used in bone arrow technology and an engraved piece of bone. Then I'm jumping up to the top of the sequence, the later Stone Age layers, the Holocene layers dating to between 4,800 and 2,300 years ago. So these deposits, we are very lucky to have it in the same site as the Middle Stone Age deposits because it gives us a sharper, much more detailed resolution impression of life, ways, and behavior. What we do find surprising is that we don't find a big jump in complexity. The archaeological materials, they're basically the same types of materials. But what this allowed us is to investigate an often um, neglected part of our archaeological record, sound and archaeomusic. And in doing this, We've done a lot of experimentation and ethnographic research to try and bring sound back into the Glasses uh, River Cave 1. So this enigmatic implement was found by Singer and Weimer already in 1967 next to a lower jaw of a human. It's a dual-hold, two-hold instrument or implement um, dating to around 4,800 years ago. So here you see some of the students doing excavations in that midden, later Stone Age midden. This is on top of the witness bulk. It's more or less these layers. And what we found when we looked at the ethnographic record and by doing some experimentation is that as Singer and Weimer and others have suggested that this might have been a musical instrument or an instrument to make sound with. So I don't know if you know what a vur vur is or a vera vera. It's just the sound that it makes. So you put it in the middle like Joshua is doing here. So we estimated the length of the 
of the um, rope used by the ethnographic examples, and if you do this, it makes a sound. And interesting, the sound is, is very similar to that made by bees. So we're investigating this further. So this Classes River archive highlights the kinds of achievements of African populations that played a prominent role in the development of humankind, of people like us. I would like to thank everybody for being, for being here and for giving me the opportunity to speak to you. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.